Bruchem Aboyim to the fourth of the series of lectures on the book of Abyashaber Solavechek Zatzal, The Emergence of Ethical Man. And last, we're going to continue where we left off last week, namely um, in the first part of the book, which is in fact um, the first chapter begins on page three, man is an organic being, and we're going to continue and speak about what Rabbi Soloveitchik says is man is a plant. Now, there are very, very um, important ideas that Rabbi Soloveitchik expresses in this um, first chapter. In other words, man is a plant before chapter two on page 31, where man is a carnivorous being. Um, the, the overall scheme of his thought is that in fact the days of creation which speak about a development to higher life forms more or less represent in fact actually different levels in man himself in other words man is in fact a um, an aggregation of the different stages of creation. He's a evolutionary being in that sense, whether we mean it biologically or conceptually. In other words, in the scientific sense or the briska sense. But in any case, there's an aspect of man which is a plant. Now, Rabbi in fact, brings um, several sukkim, several verses from the Chumash, in which we clearly make what he calls analogy between man and a plant. For example, um, he brings the famous Pasuk in Devorim, right? That Odim is Eitzasada, the tree of the field is like a man. And then he notes the fact that the commandment, for example, of Pira Rivia, of, um, of reproduction, Right in the Chumash is first expressed to plants, then to animals, then to man, in exactly the same language. So in other words, clearly, and also too, he brings from the um, from the prophets the Vim, which compare man to a plant. Clearly, um, man, there's a plant aspect, a plant dimension, a plant dimension to man. Now, in addition to this immanental um, analogy, Rabbisolovechik, of course, draws halachic conclusions for this. In other words. In what sense is, in fact, man as a plant expressed in the halacha? So, as far as this is concerned, Rabbi Soloveitchik understands that the plant aspect of man, the plant aspect of man, relates to states of man's biological existence, which um, he associates with what we call um, involuntary biological functions. Um, for example, um, he says on page 16, right, concerning his entire physiological biological functional system, breathing, assimilation of organic matter, circulation of the blood, glandular secretion, and so on, man does not differ from the plant, right? I think that's called involuntary biological functions. The same automatic non teleoskinic or non-self-conscious functionalism which operates within man and regulates his response to the outside, prevails in plant. 
In this regard, man is not to be found one degree above the physical, physiological operation of the plant. In other words, there's an aspect of man's biological being, which is that of a plant. Okay? He says, we're not cognizant of the functions of our body, and there's no possibility that man will ever become directly conscious of that physiological performance. Now, the fact is, is that having realized that not only scripturally is man compared to a plant, but there actually are physiological, there's a physiological dimension of man which is actually plant-like. So there, um, after that, later on, Sobosilovacic um, speaks about the, um, the, the actually the function of a plant, or the, um, the understanding of the existence of a plant. And there, um, he, um, he speaks about the two important characteristics that are pertinent to our problem. This is on page 15. There's a within-without parallelism. And there he quotes Murphy, who actually wrote a book on psychology, but somehow he was actually a famous parapsychologist, but actually spoke about plants, who says the organism exists because outer changes and adjustments are nicely attuned. In other words, there is an inner essence existence which behaves towards the outside in a certain fashion. The structured entity must maintain contact with its environment, otherwise it will die. The crystal has absolutely no relationship with the world outside. It is either completely encapsulated or the contrary forms part of the environment. The plant is, on the other hand, bound as an internal structure. On the other hand, it cannot be isolated from the environment, it has an inner existence, which depends upon an outer world. And then he says, after that, number two, notwithstanding the first characteristic of existence within, the plant functionally and more phenomenally flows together with its environment. The world and the inner structure form one self-non-self. So the plant exists in and of itself, but has somehow this osmotic effect with its environment. Now, what are the parallels in the halacha? So it's here that Rabbi Salavajic, in fact, draws um, two parallels in the halacha, right? The first parallel to halacha he draws is actually a fetus. A fetus, right, biologically is very similar to this description of a plant. And the second analogy he draws is to what's called a gut, what is in, in, in what Chazal or what the Shulamah calls a goises, which means an individual on the brink of death. So he says here on page 27, let us first consider the laws pertaining to the endpoints of life, the embryo and the goises. Okay? It's interesting. Man begins as a plant and ends as a plant. He begins as a fetus, which is plant-like, and ends as a goises, which is also plant-like. So he says, turning to the beginning of life, I'm reading from page 28, even the embryo in the womb is considered under many aspects a person endowed with juridic prerogatives. The murder of an unborn child is classified as a crime, which is punishable with misa bidei shamayim. Indeed, even a non-Jew is executed for killing fetuses. Whenever the life of the unborn child is endangered, the law of Pekuch is applicable according to the opinion of many Rishonim. Even the case of an abnormal death, when the physician is allowed to sacrifice the unborn baby for the well-being of the mother, Maimonides introduces the, the, the motive of roidev. The physician is instructed to save the mother because the child is classified as a roidev. Otherwise, it would be prohibited to prefer the life of the mother to his. So in other words, basically, the fetus is like an individual. And even if the mother's life is in danger, right, and is permitted to kill the fetus, but why? Not because he's not considered to be a, a viable human being or an individual, but rather because it's considered to be a roidev, a pursuer. 
This is how a son of Eitchik says. And then he goes on to the case of a Goises, a person in the state of coma, who's also sort of like in a, what you usually call a vegetative state. And there, of course, killing a, um, a Goises also is an act of murder, and that's what Soloveitchik understands. Now, it's very interesting, he picked these two examples. In the case of a Roydef, Rabbi Yoshaber, I'm calling him Rabbi Yoshaber, is very, very much um, drawing upon the Torah of his grandfather, Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik. Um, the famous um, question, which is asked in the Rambam, in Hilchus Reitzayach, right, is in fact that um, that um, um, that in fact the, uh, the Rambam says in Parak Aleph Alachetes, he's speaking about the mitzvah of Roide for the Besuah. So he says, "Af mitzvah al nefesh One should not um, take mercy on the nefesh on the on the life of a Roide for Besuah. L'fichach hoyru chacham misha that a woman who's actually having difficulty in giving birth, and I guess she's in danger, one can actually perform an abortion, one can actually kill the um, uber, kill the fetus. Because he's like a roidev, he's pursuing her, to kill her. Now, I don't want to go into the entire shia on the sugya of this sugya, which appears in the Gemara Sanhedrin, but the interesting is, is that the question asked by all the Rishonim, right, all the Achonim, is in fact, from the Gemara and Sanhedrin, it appears that the child is only a Roidev, when in fact, actually, he comes, in other words, you know, he, in fact, actually, he, he's born, he comes out of the mother's womb. But inside um, the mother, right, it's, it's appear, at least from a, you know, for a first reading of the Gemara, the, the reason you can kill the Uber because it's not considered a form of life, right? However, Rabchayim in Chedish Rabchayim and Hilchas Seyach Shmir Sanefesh, in fact, actually introduces the concept that no, that the um, the Uber, the fetus, is called a nefesh. It's called a nefesh. Now he's called a nefesh with different dinim than that of the mother, and that's why even when he's in the mother in the mother's womb, right, we give prerogative to the. In other words, we give somehow prerogative to the mother, as opposed to when he leaves the mother's womb, we don't give prerogative to the mother. But nonetheless, Chaim defines the child as, in fact, actually being a roidef. And many of the shuvas of the Paiskim, who are very, very much opposed to abortion, among them the Ikus Meishra Feinstein, that in fact actually um, considered a person who actually aborts a baby to be a retzeach, to be a murderer, and Meishra Feinstein, in fact, draws, actually quotes, this Rab Chaim is one of his sources that Ritzicha applies to an, a fetus, even though the mother's life is not in danger, because we see clearly that the Rambam had to give the reason of Roidif in order to justify the killing of the fetus when the mother's life is in danger, because he's called a nefesh. Now, needless to say, this interpretation of the Rambam is not agreed upon by, um, by everybody. Um, I might, of course, added my two cents, is that um, if you look in the Rambam in the Meir Nevuchem, in Perek Mem, in Chedek Gimel, chapter 40 in the third Chelek, um, the Rambam understands Roidev to be um, much different. In fact, according to the Rambam, it appears to be that the Rambam understands that the killing of a Roidev is not because we're worried that the life is in danger, but rather the killing of the Roidev is to prevent a person from doing a crime. 
In which case, we'd have to say that when the Rambam says that the Uber is a Roidev, he doesn't mean literally it's a Roidev. And even though you think I'm bringing into the Rambam, actually that's Lush of the Rambam. The Rambam says he's Kiroidev. He's like a Roidev. But he's not really a Roidev. But I'm not giving a Shira to make Hasogas a Rabchaim a la Rambam. But in any case, um, what's interesting is in the Rambam is that um, Rabbi Salavechik, Rishim Hilchas Balachim, that in fact a person who kills a, um, Rabbi Salavechik says, if a person kills an, un, um, an unborn child, he says even a non-Jew is executed for killing fetuses. In fact, nowhere, in fact, even though the Rambam does paskin in Hilchas Balachim, that if a, if, a, if a guy does kill an Uber, he's Chai Misvidei Shemayim, there's no indication in the Rambam that the same din um, actually um, applies to a Jew too. But not to go into this, but in other words, Rabbi Yashabeh is very, very much drawing upon the Torah of Rabbi Chayim, that an Uber is considered, in fact, actually to be a form of life. In which case, if that's true, then Rabbi Salavechik explains the din of an Uber, because we don't normally look at an Uber as being a form of life, unless you're a fundamentalist Christian, right, or Catholic, that, that in fact, man has this plant-like aspect to him, and an Uber represents man as a plant. And we have to look as an, at an aspect of man as a plant. And because of this, killing an Uber is in fact killing man as a plant. And therefore, because of this, that, I mean, it's Mashma that, that he says that he's high of death at the hands of heaven. Now, in the case of the guy, he says, Rabbi Soloveitchik, in fact, actually makes the same claim. We say it's an act of murder, of killing a guy, says, even though this person is in fact actually in a possible vegetative state. Nonetheless, for the same reason that we understand that the notion of man as being a plant not only is something which, um, which is expressed in the psukim, in the verses of the Torah, but in fact actually has important halakhic consequences. Okay, so that's a very, very important thing. We see clearly here that Rabbi Soloveitchik's understanding of man's imminence in the natural world, in fact, is a philosophy of the halacha. Because here we have, according to Soloveitchik, two direct consequences of, um, of natural imminence, right? Right? With respect to the halacha. Now, I want to go on to a second interesting point that Rabbi Soloveitchik makes. In chapter, in this chapter, of man as an organic being, um, speaking of man as a plant, speaks, um, elaborates very, very much on the halachas of Zeroyim. We see this entire section of the Mishnayas, of Shas, um, which, which, in which um, Chazal, in fact, go on in a quite a detail, right, um, speaking about the halachas of plants, and these halachas of plants involve, in fact, very detailed observations as to the structure of plants and also to the classification of different types of flora and fauna. Now, Rabbi Soloveitchik understands the halacha in a very, very interesting way. On page 19, he writes, halacha's approach to the world to the outside, that means to the world, is an objective mechanistic one. 
no mythical qualities, no supernatural traits, no animistic dreams. Okay? Dead and living matter surrounds us, and this matter must be interpreted in unison with a set of logical principles. Okay? The halacha looks for stability and lawfulness in this world. And then he goes on to say, the halacha studied the plant on three levels, the structural, the physiological, the technical. On all those levels, it observed, described, explained the plant with full understanding of its peculiarity, primordial demands, inner insistences, and outer interrelationships. In Zerayim, as in all regions of halacha cognitive activity, scientific knowledge of the realia contributes a great deal to the formulation of halacha for formula and ideas. In some cases, it may change our whole halachic outlook. A trained botanist and agronomist may expose new halachic aspects in the realm of Zerayim, Shabbos, and so on. Very interesting, Rabbi Soloveitchik understands that the halacha of Chazal, when describing nature, of course in, in the halachas of Zerayim, we speak about Kiloyim, which is mixing different types of seeds, Rabbi Soloveitchik understands as being scientific. In other words, Chazal, when they speak about the physical world, are being scientific. Right? It doesn't mean they have the same scientific um, method which came about after the time of, the, of, 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 of Bacon, but nonetheless, the fact is, their observations are in fact scientific. So the Soloveitchik categorizes the Lacha as being scientific. Um, so we see is that much of the Halacha of Chazal is really what we call Chazal science. And Rabbi Salvezhik understands that this is to be called scientific in the full sense of the word. Yeah. Is it, I mean, is it halachic formulation or halachic application? I think um, both formulation and application. He says at the end, a trained botanist and may expose new halachic aspects in the realms of Zerayim and Shabbos. That would be the application, meaning... Well, yeah, but, 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 the, but, but he, he speaks about the halacha as, as being interested in the st- stability and lawfulness of the world. In other words, he's, he's using halacha and scientific in, the, in contradiction to the, the, the mythical. How does it relate to halachic man's concept of halacha, whereas it's an ideal concept? That's a good question. Well, that's a theory of transcendence. This is, in fact, that's a theory of imminence. However, one can, in, in due respect, we can understand that just like in science, too, a scientist might make a theory of a model, which is transcendence, and then apply it and measure it in real life, right? So, too, in a man too. First, he speaks about the IPR relationship, and after that, he speaks about going through all the measuring things. That's what he speaks about the Tzitna Baltanya. So, just refer to two you know, parts of the scientific process. So the but it doesn't remain a priori. So, the science would have a role in formulating the halachic ideal? Right, right. No, not only that, I think actually saying it's the same thing. Hainuach. It is. Now, what's interesting is, what's interesting is, is that it's interesting to contrast this with actually the, um, the thoughts of a, another great halachic giant of the 20th century, and also a philosopher of the halacha, Lenda the Chazanish. If actually, in fact, if you look in the Chazanish in Kiloyim, you'll see that the Chazanish understands the halachic process as not being scientific. In fact, the Chazanish understands the Lachic process as being what I would say prophetic. In other words, somehow man's description of the world is not objective and scientific, but more or less prophetic in terms of man's inner relationship or somehow intuitive understanding of the world. And um, this distinction or this 
contrast between Rav Soloveitchik's approach and the Chazanish's approach, you should know, is not only actually in, this, in, in, the, in the area of Zeroim and the Halacha, but a general issue. The Chazanish understood actually the Halacha process to be in a certain sense a prophetic process, more than an objective process. But Oid Chazan Lemoyed, maybe one time we'll speak about the contrast between Rabbi Soloveitch's understanding of the Halacha as being a very logical and um, exact, right, science, as opposed to the Chazanish's understanding of the Halacha as in fact being very, very prophetic. Now, that's the second idea that comes um, out of this chapter in which he's, Rabbi Soloveitch is discussing man as a plant. Now, there's actually, actually an interesting, a third idea that actually is brought out in, in this chapter. Um, it's interesting, we spoke about that there's an aspect of man as a plant. And, um, in other words, we can understand this, literally, is that since man begins as a plant, in the Sheshish Mebrishis, right? Then, in fact, actually, this plant aspect of man remains in his beginning and in his end. And because of this, it represents a real part of the world, a real aspect of man. And therefore, the halacha has to address it when man is ostensibly in this vegetative or plant-like stage, namely, either at the beginning of life, as we spoke about, in the fetus, the end of life, as a goises. But the fact is, is that we see over here that the anthropology of man requires us to understand man in the context of his most natural and most, you call, um, antecedent, right, um, um, state of affairs. In other words, we're looking at man's history, quote-unquote primitive, most primitive history, as actually not being something which we would call primitive in a in a, in, a, in a negative way, but rather, in fact, um, we're looking at primitivity, what we call primitivity, as being, in fact, actually an ideal and a natural function of man. Now, this concept actually comes across in a very, very long footnote. Um, the footnote, um, Rabbi Soloveitchik speaks about man as being close to his environment, as is a plant unity with the outside world, right? And he notes at the very top of page 17, other viewpoints on the contrary will strive to grant man more freedom and self-sufficiency. But in fact, actually, man is rooted very, very much within his environment, right? So in a footnote, Arsalevichik says, certain philosophies are bent on freeing man from his confinement to a fixed environment. European intellectualism and rationalism and scientific technologism pursued as a prime objective. Primitive man was more tied with his natural surroundings than the modern Hobie sapiens. Imagining man brute, we see him enmeshed with a certain environment, be it the jungle, be it in the cave. In fact, I think, I don't know if I quoted it last time, but in fact, actually, um, Arisalovechik says actually explicitly, later on the book, he speaks about um, Adab Harishan um, swinging in the trees like, like, um, like an ape. In other words, um, so, um, so he goes on and says over here, right, some philosophers proclaim the, the, the ideal of return to nature. 
Such a controversy finds echo in political philosophy. The idea of fatherland bespeaks the bond between a man and a fixed environment. Fatherland described not only by political attributes, but by natural topography. He says, urban intellectuals tried to reject this. But nonetheless, he says, with the return of certain philosophers to the aboriginal sensuous apprehension of reality, with the rehabilitation of the primitive immediacy of our name knowledge, the contact between man and the world outside becomes more intimate. Such a romantic upsurge of man towards primordiality and oneness with the world outside has effect upon political philosophy, and he puts in parentheses Bergson's Ilan Vital intuition. In other words, Rosalabajic understands that Judaism, right, in fact, at least, Judaism heralds returning man to his fixed, to his that's called more a priori anthropology, his earliest anthropology, where actually men is enmeshed with his environment. Not only enmeshed within nature, but actually enmeshed within, um, within a land, within a people. And this is very, very interesting. And why is this interesting? Because most people, if you ask most people what in fact actually is Judaism, they'll answer you and say that Judaism is a religion. But actually, the notion of Jews' religion is actually a relatively recent development. In fact, a development that fairly first began around the eight, right around the beginning of the 19th century. Um, some scholars attribute actually Jews' religion as actually originating in Moshe Mendelssohn. When Mendelssohn was forced to argue for Jewish rights, right? So, therefore, he had to argue for religious rights. Now, religious rights assumes that you have a religion among other religions. So, therefore, in other words, to the Christians, Mendelssohn had to say that Judaism has every right, every way a right to be called a religion, just as Christianity. Ipso facto, Judaism is a religion. Now, even though um, there are those who argue on Mendelssohn, namely um, Shishrafal Hirsch, you actually, if you actually if you're Madayik, if you actually read carefully into Hirsch's arguments, he is Moedibimixas. He does accept, to a certain extent, that Judaism is a religion, but not only a religion. But, in fact, Kant himself um, always claimed, and I want to claim rightly true, that, in fact, Judaism is not a religion. It's a people with a law. Um, so, in other words, what Rasulavechik is saying is that, initially, that the concept of Judaism as a religion is something which is actually a recent development he calls it European intellectual, but really a recent development of the 19th century. Before that, it's not clear at all that Judaism is a religion. What does the Jewish mean by religion? Religion means what, what makes a person a Jew is a theology. It's a, it's, a, it's a religious philosophy. But in other words, Christianity is called a religion. A person doesn't have to be born a Christian. A person become a Christian. And he has to believe in Christianity. A person becomes a Buddhist because he believes in Buddhism. But if a, if a non-Jew believes in Judaism, as most people think, well, I believe in Judaism, therefore I'm a Jew. That's not true. A person has to be part of a people. Um, by the way, Derech Agav, there's an interesting nafkamin in the halacha, because in Galus, I mean, this is going to be a little bit controversial, but I'll say it anyway. In Galus, we don't see Kabbalah Samitzvahs being a factor in Galus until the 19th century with the Beis Yitzchak, the Chandash Shlema, and Abchaim Isaac if you look at the Rishayna, but I'm even referring to the Taisvahs too, as the Chuvah's base male says explicitly, Kabbalah's mitzvah is not a factor in all the Galas. 
What we have in Geras is Haidas mitzvahs. We informed the Ger of some of the mitzvahs, Mitzas Kamuas, Mitzas Kulois, to make sure that the Geras is Lishma. But Kabbalah's mitzvahs, I mean, explicitly the Ritva says, it's not Ma'akev, several times in Shas. Kabbalah's, what's called Kabbalah's mitzvahs, I think, is really something which develops in the Poiskim in the 19th century. When Chaim Isaac Kajinsky writes to the Tshuva, Kabbalah's mitzvahs, Ma'akev, he puts in practice, Chemda Shloimei. Rechem Rajakinsky knew what he was speaking about, as opposed to most other people. Namely, is that Kabbalah's mitzvahs becomes a factor in Allah when the world changes. And I'm not, Shalom, actually making a critique. On the contrary, the concept of a, um, the concept of a secular Jew only arrived in the 19th century. So in other words, the halachic response of the Gedalia Paiskin was that it's not enough to be, you can't be a secular Jew. In, in Gagos, you have to be a religious Jew. Before that, all Jews religious. If you don't want to be religious, you become a Christian. So, in other words, what Russell Avechik is saying here in this footnote, number 11, on page 17, which in my opinion is probably one of the most important footnotes in the book, is that the concept of Judaism as a religion is in fact actually a reason concept. And this is the Ramban, which he speaks about the lectures of Genesis, according to the Ramban, not only did the Avis only keep the mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael, but the Ramban, in fact, explains the Sefri, that when you go to Gods, when you go to Chutz Aretz, the exile, then you should keep the mitzvahs, you shouldn't forget to remember to keep the mitzvahs. When you go back to Eretz Yisrael, then the Ramban says the Ica of the mitzvahs is in Eretz Yisrael, because we're going back to the called the Malas Avis, the stage of the forefathers. According to the Ramban, even the mitzvahs, which are mitzvahs of Gov, which Chazal tell us, a person is required to do both in El and both in Chutzlaret, both in the exile, but really the Ikan mitzvahs are done in El Chisrael. Because a Jew, right, in a sense, is part of a people and part of a land. He's indigenous to a people and to a land. So Rabbi Soloveitchik's point over here is very, very much in a, an expression of his understanding of Judaism as being expressed in the Chumash, I mean, if it's the first invention of the 19th century, of course it's being expressed in the Chumash, and in Chazal, that Judaism is indigenous to a people and to a land. This is a philosophy of imminence. So even on the political level, right, Judaism espouses what's called biological affinity, and that a, van very, a person very much has to um, be cognizant of this, because this is really the, the sheet of the Torah. Yeah. Why imminence rather than just describing it as like naturalism? Or being, you know, well, that, I, mean, I, mean, nat- I mean, naturalism. I'm using the naturalism in the same sense. In other words, imminence means I'm imminent within a natural setting. That's what I mean. But here, I'm part of an environment. Um, so this is, in fact, actually the very, very, a very, very important um, idea that comes out from all of this, that that, in fact, actually, Judaism, by being a people, I mean, we still are a people, and by, you know, being part of a land, that, in fact, Judaism is expressing man's connectedness, his natural, biological connectedness with a people, a group, as we spoke about in Bergson, he quotes Bergson, and with a land, and, of course, the logic connectedness, too, of, with nature, of which... Plant life is actually um, one stage. Actually, that's how man begins life and man ends life. Um, it's very interesting to note that there's also a very famous Jewish thinker of the 20th century who expresses 
very, very similar ideas, right, um, using different terminology, and that's actually if a person actually will study, maybe we will get to the philosophy of Avkuk, especially the philosophy that emerges from his notebooks, um, which is published a few years ago in the Shemona Kavotzim, especially the notebooks, his notebooks from Yafo, right, I think from the 20s, it's clear that Rav Kook also expresses very Bergsonian um, concepts and understandings of, the, um, of Judaism, and even more so, relates this to the concept of the people. It's a type of, what you would call a halacha concept of Zionism, namely that just like um, um, the natural setting of the Jewish person is in this country, in al Israel and living among other Jews. So, this point over here of Rabbi Salavechik is in fact very, very, very much fundamental is understanding of a, you know, of the ontology of what is Judaism and who a Jew is. Now, like I said before, Rabbi Salavechik is actually just beginning. This is the first stage in actually what you would call, I don't call it the ascent of man, but in fact, actually, the um, describing man um, in the stages, which are in fact um, not only um, described in the Chumash and Maiseberishes, but in fact, actually, in later parts of the Torah, namely Pashas Noyach, and when Chaiswell um, in Vayikra there in the Volet, where Soloveitchik understands that the Chumash actually presents to us a history of man's, the history of man's anthropology, beginning from actually from Adam Barishan, towards before the Mamba, before the flood, after the flood, and that's something that the Mitzvah we're going to begin speaking about uh, next week. In any case, from an undisclosed place in Yerushalayim and Rakadish, until next week, call Tuvan be well.